Hi, this is Michelle Wainwright, and welcome to Creative Juicy, a podcast about the creative process, the journey to finding your voice, and tools to help creatives, aka people just like you, find inspiration, confidence, and some business savvy along the way. My career in brand and content strategy led me to collaborating with incredible creators, from photographers to directors, chefs, designers, stylists, illustrators, developers, founders, and so much more. I'm here to shine a light on the experiences of people who dare to be different, with the hopes of inspiring you to do whatever makes you feel unapologetically you. So let's get into it. This is Creative Juicy. Well, I'm excited to learn about all of the things, Martin. You are my first guest who I haven't known personally outside of this. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't speak about uh, my experience with you on set, but I'm excited to learn all the things. (laughs) First, how I like to kick things off is, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Martin Adelson. I'm a Swedish photographer and artist uh, based in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I like to describe my work as uh, existing at the intersection of uh, photography, technology, and behavior. Um, so that's kind of the, the elevator pitch. And how did you get your start in this industry? I got my start by more by kind of coincidence. So I'm originally Swedish and um, the Swedish education system is a little bit different than the American, uh, but um, I had the opportunity to try out a bunch of different mediums while I was in uh, high school. Um, One of them was photography. Um, And I think it resonated with me because it was um, fairly direct um, relationship to what you created and the output of, of that. Um, it didn't a lot, uh, involve a ton of people um, and it was a, it was a kind of um, good medium in that way that it was fairly easy to manage by yourself without you know needing a full crew of people. Um, mm-hmm. And through that I ended up thinking, you know what maybe I should, see what photography is about Um, and this was in 2000 Um, and at the time I was living in Sweden um, I had a couple of friends of mine who were a few years older and they had moved to Oslo um, and they basically said hey you know um, we have a bed available in this apartment basically a collective uh, and we have one bed available Uh, it's yours if you want it so um I went on what was then the yellow pages and uh, I searched for photographers Oslo and I sent an email to the three top um, entries in the in the phone book uh, and one of them responded and said yeah sure you can come for a week and then we'll see what happens um, and uh, I ended up staying for a year and a half um, and that was kind of my introduction into the world of photography I in all honesty didn't have a clue of what I was doing. Like I was unbelievably clueless. Um, So (laughs) it was a pretty, pretty rough start. Um, Having the kind of confidence that you have when you're uh, coming out of school and uh, you've been experimenting on your own terms and teachers might tell you, oh, you know, they're encouraging and tell you, oh, you know, that's so great and so great. And then you um, 
get into reality and you realize that <laughs> that um, your stuff is not that great and you actually don't know anything. So it was a, it was a bit of a crash course, but it was a very uh, important one, I would say. Yes, I have loved on this podcast hearing about just the power in cold calling or cold emailing. So many people's journeys started out with that. And it just takes one person to say, yeah, join me for this. And then that just kind of kickstarts everything. Exactly. I mean, I, I've been thinking about that so many times. You know, what, what would have happened? Uh, the people I met later in life, the choices I made, um, it's like if it wasn't for that particular, um, you know, person responding to that email, like my, my life would have looked so different. Um, and we're, we're still, I'm still good friends with the photographer. I go to his house in France, uh, you know, once a year. So we're, we're still very, very close. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's incredible, especially I think at that time in life, um, right around graduation, your life can take so many different paths. Um, and I think that that's really the, you don't fully understand the importance of it. Um, but I, yeah, I think that it's, it's a pretty important uh, moment in your life, obviously. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you spent some time in Oslo for a year and a half, kind of getting your footing, working with this photographer, learning the craft. What do you do from there? Um, so from there, I was, um, I started working as a freelance photographer while I was there, um, borrowing some equipment from the studio, etc., and, and just kind of trying to uh, get uh, assignments from different local magazines and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, in 20, 2003, um, I moved to Stockholm um, to kind of pursue it uh, more full time. Uh, similar, I had a couple of friends who were, um, they had a small magazine at that time. Um, and I, they said, Hey, you know, why don't you come and take some photos for us? Um, and that was really the motivation I needed, I think, uh, in order to decide to, to move. And from there, I just slowly, but surely built a portfolio, um, just trying to take on every type of assignment I possibly could, except for like weddings and like that kind of stuff, but like any kind of edit, edit, edit I should say any editorial uh, assignment that I could possibly uh, get my hands on. Um, and through that experience, I started to build a portfolio quite quickly um, and uh, was then able to kind of through that, um, I also, this is in 2004 and five, um, I also made sure that my website was optimized to get uh, traffic from uh, outside of Sweden. So everything was in English. It was easily accessible with my contact information and such. Um, mm. So thanks to that, and hopefully also thanks to, to the work, um, I managed to get a lot of clients, uh, British, German, uh, US, um, that were assigning specific shoots uh, in Sweden um, or in the Scandinavian countries at that time. Um, so thanks to that, I was able to build a pretty, you know, good, uh, portfolio of, of, you know, good reputable magazines, um, through that process. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've never been to Scandinavia, um, but it is at the very top, 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 <laughs> top of my list. It has been for years. My mom is Dutch. So 
I can't believe I actually Close enough. Been, but I, yeah, <laughs> but my view, my view of those countries is just really beautiful design, incredible fashion. I don't know. I guess a lot of the people I follow on social media are like Scandinavian editors or designers or mm. content creators, if you will. Um, and so I just have this like complete, like when you say your bed in that collective in Oslo, I'm like picturing this beautiful apartment, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it sounds like a great spot to get your start in this field. And I don't know if that's simply my perception, but it just feels like a really design driven area of the world. I mean, I think that there are a number of things that uh, were beneficial. One one thing is also that the Scandinavian countries and perhaps European countries in general uh, tend to um, have more focus on uh, public public policy, public information. So there is much more support to smaller kind of niche magazines. Um, the, the Netherlands have, have a similar thing as and France and Germany, etc. Um, so it's easier in that way to get your foot in the door um, and not immediately build a portfolio that's more quote unquote uh, commercial, but has a different uh, different aesthetic, a little bit more, I don't know if I want to say edgy, but a little bit more unique, a little bit more uh, yeah, and I think that's um, partly as a as a result of that the 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 market is a little bit different, um, or at least I I should say this is twenty years ago. But mm-hmm. um, so I I think that's 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 helpful. You have um, there's more room for experimentation. I think um, it's also cost of living is much less than at least in New York. Um, so you can you can kind of try a b- bunch of different things out without necessarily feeling that you need to uh, attract the biggest clients and the biggest budgets immediately. Um, and I think that process allows for um, a little bit more of a kind of creative exploration in that sense. Um, so I think that that's why you see a lot of European stuff in my point of view. Uh, to be more experimental and a little bit more fun and creative, to be honest, um, than what you see in the U.S., which is more focused on uh, kind of maximizing uh, the the commercial component of it. So did you see that when you made your move over to New York, that maybe clients weren't as willing to push the boundaries in New York versus elsewhere? Or was it pretty... Is it just entirely dependent on the project at hand and who you're working with? I did notice a shift. Um, and I do think that, uh, I think that in the U.S. you just have more people in general. Um, and each of them work in, are very focused. They only have one role. Um, yeah, there was less risk-taking, more conservative, more that the type of work that they expected to me seemed to be more middle of the road. Again, it's like the U.S. is a different market. It's a huge country. Um, and you need to just, you need to speak to the, the broadest kind of audience as possible. So therefore, it becomes just kind of watered down because you, you, you need to find the common denominator. So I think that's a, it's a result of that. And, and also that you don't have that much focus on the um cultural sector there's just not that much funding uh in it and therefore you have less incentives to for artists to to try things out on their own on their own terms 
Mm, okay, I see. And I believe at the beginning you described your work as the intersection of photography, tech, and behavior. Is that right? Yes. So I would love to know, when did you start feeling a shift away from just solely photography work? And when did you start experimenting in these other arenas, if you will? So that process kind of started already in 2006. Um, I was I began working on a book uh, called Suburbia Gone Wild. And the, the premise for the book was that I wanted to um, kind of explore this, the, the search for identity uh, among the emerging middle class uh, in, in emerging countries. Um, and as a, to do that, I literally just traveled around to eight emerging economies um, and I pretended to be a home buyer. So I had a little a briefcase with me um, and I had a local assistant. And what we did was that we toured um, open houses and we pretended that I was uh, a, a foreigner uh, interested to buy property. Um, and my assistant's role was to keep the sales rep busy with a bunch of questions while I was running around inside these uh, homes um, and just photographed everything I could possibly see, everything from the panels in the kitchen to the bathroom, to the outdoor pool, to what have you. Um, and um, so I did that over the course of six years. Um, and the, the kind of the concept behind it was, yeah, really to understand the similarities uh, between uh, different cultures, um, not necessarily what makes them unique, but actually what what um, they are striving towards. Um, mm -hmm. And the the result is kind of like it looks like a like a brochure for a you know um, a gated community in Arizona. It's like it's impossible to tell whether or not you're in or whether or not you're looking at photos from uh, Bangalore, India, or Moscow, or Johannesburg, or Cairo, or Sao Paulo. They all just blend in and they look the exact same way, which was kind of the whole wow. point. Um, so through that process, I, I, I kind of um, started to think more conceptually about uh, what it means to be, what national identity specifically means in the context of uh, living in basically an internet, internet world uh, where we consume the same type of content regardless of where you live. Uh, if you live in Sweden or you live in the US or in Tokyo, chances are that you might watch the same YouTubers um, or the same gamers or what have you. So I was interested in what that means uh, for in terms of cultural expressions. Um, and through that, um, I began thinking about other ways of communicating that uh, than books and exhibitions. Um, and the reason for that is because books are fun and exhibitions are also fun. You get to see your friends and you, you know, you have wine and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but it's a very small audience. Um, and, uh, even for, for a photo book, uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about maybe 750, maybe a thousand copies. Um, so the, the audience, for these type of projects are just tiny, 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 given the amount of time that you often spend on them. So I, I began thinking about other mediums and um, I joined a incubator called the New Inc, um, which is run by the New Museum here in New York. 
Um, so I joined them in 2014, and I, I was thinking about these uh, these questions and how to kind of approach it. And um, one day I began talking to another guy uh, who was also a member, and through that conversation, we, we realized that you know uh, a lot of the stuff that we document tend to be of highlights, that tend to be of specific moments that we think of as important. Uh, but in reality, the vast majority of our life is made up of non-special moments, mundane, ordinary, repetitive moments like commuting to work or doing the dishes or sitting in front of your computer, like all these things that are literally making up 99.9% of your life. Um, so we began thinking about concepts around that uh, and how to capture these kind of moments. Um, and through that, we just you know, realized, well, it would make the most sense to just create an app because everyone carries a phone with them. Everyone has a camera with them. And that was really the start of this kind of shift of moving away from photography as a medium that's printed or two-dimensional uh, into a different way of working with photography. And that's where the concept for my new show is born, correct? Yes, that's exactly that's that's where uh, Minutia was uh, born. Yeah, it, it was an interesting experience because uh, none of us had any experience working with um, tech. I hadn't written a single line of code in my entire life. Neither had my co-creator. Just didn't know anything about apps in general. It, we just began talking to uh, app developers and trying to kind of see if anyone was interested in, in working with us. Uh, Quickly, we found out that no one was really interested. Um, <laughs> even though, even though that we thought that the concept was really interesting, um, and it took about two years before we eventually found a developer uh, who just thought that the idea was just—it was so crazy and so kind of different than anything else out there—that I think that 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 made it interesting to them because it was like, it allowed them to create and try something different than what they're normally focused on. So through that process, um, we, we began working on it um, and uh, we met with, uh, with the developers and with the project leader and just had to kind of figure out all these small like little details that we previously had overlooked and not spent too much time thinking about. Um, and so through that, uh, we were able to create a beta version, and then we launched this in 2017 in the App Store. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So it was you, your partner in all of this that you met at New Inc., the developing team and project manager. And were those all the moving parts? Like, how did you, I understand it was on the App Store, but did you do anything to market the app or how did you get the word out? I had managed to get an art grant uh, from the from the Swedish government to to build this, uh, and it was an art grant for ten thousand um, dollars. And so we basically just, you know, we spent all that money on developing the project. Um, and at, at this point, it was just me and uh, my my co-creator. The the rest of the team, they just they built it for us and basically like handed over the project and say, here, this is it, you know, like go and have fun with it. But uh, through that, uh, we it was just 
we began a word of mouth. We told our friends, and I'm going to be honest with you. In the beginning, uh, people were fa fairly skeptical of the of the concept of documenting boring moments. <laughs> um, but eventually, things just start to pick up. Um, and I should also say that uh, we had uh, managed to get quite a lot of uh, beta users during this onboarding or during the the process. Um, just through, uh, we did a couple of um, we did a couple of radio shows and just basically told people about it. Uh, we had a landing page that we directed uh, people to, and they signed up. So we had a pretty good starting ground, I would say. But it was still, and the, the first couple of months, we were like, okay, how are we gonna get the word out? Um, and then I I met a couple of journalists that I had relationships to through New Ink. Um, and um, I had told them about the project and they'd been kind of following the process. And um, they thought that uh, it was just an interesting and weird uh, concept. And specifically, there were, there were a number of things that I think resonated. Um, one is that it encouraged you to document the, the kind of the in-betweens. Usually, uh, a, a counter reaction to uh, traditional social media. Uh, but in addition, uh, there was no likes, no comments, no profiles, no filters. Um, and you can only use it for one minute per day. Uh, so the app sends out the notification once a day to all participants around the world at the exact same moment. Um, and when you receive the notification, you have a one minute window to capture whatever's in front of you there, there and then. Um, and so you end up catch, capturing all these kind of seemingly uninteresting moments uh, there and then. Um, and once you capture the photo, uh, you have a one-minute window, look at your photos, and you can tap a button, and you can match with one other random participant who also took a photo at that exact same moment somewhere else in the world. Um, oh, so you get this uh, kind of voyeuristic experience into a complete stranger's life. Um, but there's no way of communicating with that person. You can't like, you can't comment, you can't do anything. You just simply avoid uh, voyeur um, into that person's life. After a minute, it closes down and you have to wait until the following day to repeat the same process over again. Um, so through that, um, the, the project started kind of spreading uh, through word of mouth and slowly, surely it started growing. Um, uh, Wired wrote about it, and then it just exploded. And Financial Times wrote about it, Vice wrote about it, and a bunch of other magazines wrote about it. So through uh, kind of through media exposure, it just then kind of took off and and really, yeah, had a life of its own. Wow. So when did those articles come out? Uh, they came out in I believe May June two thousand and seventeen. So about three okay. months after we had we had launched it. Um, awesome. So it was a it was a bit of a what they call in the tech world a hockey stick kind of explosion where it just had a ton of signups um, and I remember that that feeling of thinking oh my god like it was just such an overwhelming experience of looking at the downloads and you just see you just re hit refresh and it's just like a hundred new people you hit refresh and it's a hundred new people it's just an incredible experience um, of seeing something that you put a lot of effort into um, uh, just kind of be, 
yeah, uh, get, yeah. get, you know, kind of continuing out in the world on its, on its own. Well, I feel like an app, a concept like that was really ahead of its time because 2017, I feel like that's when social media was really starting to pick up and become much more integrated, not just personally in people's lives, but also, um, you know, for brands and businesses and corporations. Yeah, no, I, exactly. And I think that's the, the, it went from this kind of curiosity, um, the first couple of years uh, where, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was on the cover of every single magazine you can possibly imagine and thought of as a hero to around 2014, 15, 16, when people starting to have a little bit more of a different relationship to it. It's still not the, the kind of tech backlash that we see today, but people were definitely more skeptical. Um, and I think that we were just early on and kind of challenging that notion of um, what social media kind of turned us into. Um, in addition to the kind of the the anxiety that people experience around it, but um, and I that was really what we kind of we, we wanted to create a counter comment uh, or a counterbalance to that kind of notion of you know the the perfect um, kale salad or your avocado <laughs> toast or the perfect beach shot or whatever, um, and just more uh, we created more as a way of starting a conversation and making people aware of the fact that this is there's so much else in life that goes undocumented um, that we just think of as mundane. Often a, a example I give is like, if you're a little bit older and you look through your grandparents' photo album, every now and then you see a photo of you know the carpet or of the, the china on the table or what have you, things that are not necessarily staged, but you know, it might be someone who just see if there were, if it was uh, filmed in the, in the camera. And often those type of photos says so much more about their environment and their living conditions than the perfectly staged photo with all the cousins lined up or the wedding photo or what have you. That doesn't really tell us that much. Um, and often those type of snapshots are, are much richer in terms of the information that they contain. Mm -hmm. um, so it was what we wanted to kind of recreate was, was that notion that instead of capturing these moments that are important as well, we wanted to encourage the, the really the documentation of, of life, uh, the, the real life. Um, that is so cool. I'm going to download it as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> I'll send you a promo code. <laughs> yes, thank you. And it must have been such a special thing. I mean, I can imagine, especially at the beginning of COVID, I feel like if I was a member of the app, it would be so something I would look forward to every day. Just, you know, feeling like you're not alone in this. Everyone is at home. Yeah, that must have been so cool during that time, especially. I mean, it's, it's funny uh, because... So it started in 2014, and I should I should mention that. So the app sends you one alert per day, um, and it it that kind of process is repeated for 1,440 minutes, um, and that's the number of minutes that's in a day. So over the course of time, you have the ability to take one photo for every minute that's in a day. Um, but it's spread out because you only receive one notification per day. You only capture one minute per day. It takes almost four years to complete the project. 
So it becomes this very long-term um, kind of archive of your life of what happened through those four years. And everyone knows that four years, it's, it's quite a long time. Um, and we received, you know, comments and emails from participants who said, you know, well, you know, when I first signed up, I was single and lived by myself. And when I completed the cycle, I was married and had my first kid. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's, it's really that. And I think that's kind of the beauty is like you, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next. These kind of things, these kind of moments that we document currently, they don't seem that important, but we, we never know what's going to happen the following day. And the, the photo of your, you know, training shoes might be significant because of things that happened, uh, you know, the following day or the next month or whatever you, um, and I think that's the important thing. It's like, it, it allows you to just document stuff that now are seemingly unimportant, but over time becomes really significant in ways that we can't fully predict. So what do you think about apps like be real, which I know has taken off recently. Well, I have a, I, I would say my, I have a very interesting relationship too. So um, be real. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say they basically just copy pasted uh, minutia uh, and, uh, and added a kind of Instagramification uh, component to it. Uh, and I would say it's, it's to the point where they actually basically copy pasted our manifesto that's in the app store. They literally, used it word no. for word yeah yeah it's 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 a real uh yeah it's it's pretty outrageous um especially given that they're so much so focused on authenticity and to be real uh it's pretty funny that they just yeah. cop stole, stole the concept um and they also raised 30 million dollars so um what i usually re remind people of like is that if it's free, then you're the product. So you can imagine where all those photos that you end up taking with be real will, will go. It's, it's, you won't have any control of them. Just let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, but I do think that they, I mean, they, they also kind of, again, it's like captured this kind of notion as a, as a reaction to a lot of social media, which is this idea of curation and the, the staged reality. Mm -hmm. um so I, I do think that they yeah they they tapped into that um as well um but yeah i mean they 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 just did a very different uh version of it um and i i never used yet but i've had a number of people and number of participants who have been emailing me and asking if we're going to sue them or not and uh <laughs> and, and i and i usually tell them no we're not going to sue them we don't have the resources we're just a we're a small art app project uh, we don't quite we spend our resources uh, on um, different things which i think is a little bit more uh, valuable in the long long term but we'll see interesting well yeah. i feel like i don't know i feel like maybe it's a different target also like the instagramification as you said maybe much younger more gen z i feel like your app is more targeted towards perhaps the more uh reflective soul but <laughs> just a guess. yeah i mean yeah no i think so too it's like it's a different they, they um yeah the audience is definitely different even though i would say I, our participant participant base is in general um it's fairly broad um but i think that the the difference also with Venetia is like we very much 
focus the effort on it's a long-term experience we say that it's you know it's a it's a marathon not a sprint um and you do it over such a long period of time that you start to reflect on your life a little bit differently so i, I it's it's different but it's um i think that the, the stuff that's a little bit annoying is that they just so blatantly <laughs> copied yeah. the, it copied the concept uh but yeah we'll see if they will run for another two years i feel like there's been a lot of these different iterations of similar concepts that's been the the hottest stuff and then two years later they filed for bankruptcy so we'll see mm -hmm. so you obviously i mean you spoke about this model home project and then minutia do you consider those projects personal works and then also how would you balance would you be doing editorial client work in between all of these things how would you balance everything yeah so usually um it's a little bit of both um so over the last couple of years um i've done more advertising work more advertising and and commercial uh, photography work um so almost no editorial work whatsoever um and the benefit of that is that it's been more focused short-term projects um which have allowed me to spend time on these kind of personal projects um and I know in the in the photography world we we tend to think of uh, non commercial work as as personal projects. Um, I think of them more as a kind of extension of of my both my commercial uh, practice um, and the things that I'm interested in. Um, Minutia happened to kind of take on a life on its own and uh, and you know. Kind of generating um, uh, you know an income through that um, but I think that um, for me it's always been important to have that distinction and been able to focus on these kind of projects that I that I care deeply about um, and I think that I've also used the commercial projects as a way of financing a lot of these these personal uh projects um and mind you like it's often i find like the stuff that i do they they take years to develop it's a very long-term process um so if sometimes i'm able to you know focus you know dedicate my time solely on my personal work. And sometimes I combine that with uh, commercial work. Um, but the, I mean, the reality is also that the commercial photography market has changed tremendously over the last um, five, 10 years. Um, so it's, it's not nearly as consistent as it used to be. Um, even though I would say that the projects that I now shoot are much bigger in scope and budget. Um, so it, it kind of offsets for that. Um, Do you but think that's because of social media? Uh, yes, I think that there's a number of things. I think it's the, the threshold for taking a great photo is very low. Um, 20 years ago, you needed a lot of expensive equipment in order just to take a decent photo. You needed a lot of experience as well. You need to know how to expose the film and etc. Uh, these days, I would argue that it's next to impossible to take a bad photo on your camera phone. I mean, like the, the it's very forgiving. Um, and 
even though I think that's in generally a good thing, uh, it allows for a more kind of democratized approach to how we document our things. I think for photographers who made a living from it, it's been uh, much more challenging. Um, and I think that either you kind of jumped on the social media bandwagon uh, and you've shifted your work to fit into that profile uh, to be more kind of digestible for social media or you've decided to not participate. Um, and I don't know, I was one of those who decided not to participate. And I think as a result of that, uh, obviously there was, I didn't get the, that kind of exposure as you know you needed in order to attract more clients. But on the other hand, I would say that my work has not been necessarily very influenced by what you usually see on social media, which becomes very homogenous. Um, so I think it's a, it's a, it's a trade-off. Um, I don't think you can do both. I think it's very hard to have a very, very distinct voice and be successful, um, or the other way around. I, I think it's one or the other. Um, I, I would say with the caveat though, that if you're, you can have a very distinct voice, um, if you're very good at building community, but as a result, you need to spend an enormous amount of time uh, creating relationships online and, and building that kind of network. And I that in itself is a lot of work. And I personally feel it's more important to spend that work on um, developing your creative vision than uh, high-fiving people in their comment section or what, what have you. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Spoken like the founder of Minutia. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> And can you tell us a little bit about Insane Little Projects? Yes. So Insane Little Projects is uh, a kind of a continuation uh, from my experience as working as a photographer, um, as well as uh, interest in using uh, different platforms, uh, digital platforms, um, as well as a combination of my interest in behavioral psychology. Um, and trying to create projects that are, that kind of fulfills all these kind of uh, different um, parts um, and look at what I'm exploring right now and what I'm, uh, the, the, I have a couple of beta projects um, and all of them are uh, exploring different uh, photographic patterns in more specifically how, what and why we photograph things. Um, and it looks at similarities between um, objects and environments that we photograph and trying to make analysis based on that uh, more as a kind of a reflective tool but with a with a art uh, component to it it has more a kind of conceptual underpinning but the idea is that it still provides a value for you as a participant um, of them so it's it's kind of like a hybrid model in a way uh, where if you would go to an art show, you would often stand looking at a painting and your only interaction with it would be that you had a comment or two, maybe that you told your friend about it. Um, but I'm interested in creating work that actively part, that actively engage participants um, and where their participation um, informs the work. Um, so those are the kind of areas that I'm uh, currently working on. And I have uh, two different uh, prototypes that I'm developing together with a team of developers. Awesome.
Cool. I was going to ask, you know, where can people follow along for more updates? Can they follow on social media? <laughs> they cannot because I'm terrible, Elan. No, uh, I have a, um, uh, there are two ways. It's insanelittleprojects.com um, or um, Minutia. Uh, and Minutia is a terrible, terrible name for an app because no one knows how to pronounce it or how to spell it. Um, but I'm sure we can leave a link in the description yes. below. Um, to, uh, to the website, um, but it's available for both iOS and Android. Awesome. Well, Martin, I have five final questions. These are questions that we may have touched on, but I will ask them nonetheless. So question number one is what drives you to create? Curiosity. Curiosity is what drives me to create. Um, that's a, it's a very simple uh, answer. That's, uh, that, that's it really. Um, yeah. Question number two, this one is fill in the blank. Feeling inspired feels like? Um, I think feeling inspired feels like, uh, I would say it's a rush of energy. Um, and I think that inspiration can come from a number of different uh, places. It could be something that you simply just overheard um, on the subway or what have you. Um, or it can be something that you've read or it, often what happens is I just as I'm about to fall asleep, I like all of a sudden start processing things that I've been probably seeing throughout the day. And I have like this insight. Um, the, the downside of that is that it's very hard to sleep because you're yeah. very <laughs> excited about the, uh, about the idea. Um, but I think, yeah, that's like, it's a, it feels like a burst of, of energy for me. Mm. Question number three, where do you go to get your creative juices flowing? To bed? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess bed is a, is a good place. Um, I try to actively avoid spending too much time on um, any kind of social platform, but also like any, any platforms in general. I, I try at least to use my computer as a platform for creation um, and not necessarily where I seek inspiration. Um, I think that a lot of inspiration often comes from the, yeah, the unexpected, um, the things that you necessarily haven't thought about. And I, again, I think that's the, the, the wonders of living in New York is the fact that there's just so much craziness that goes on. Uh, anytime you walk down the street, you just see so many unexpected things and it, for me those things often serve as a kind of foundation for things that I then you know you mash that together with different experiences and all of a sudden you have these like yeah creative uh, the, the creative juices kind of starts starts flowing um so I, I don't have a specific place um per se um I also say just slightly contradictory perhaps, but um, sometimes I find that um, going to a place that really annoys me can have that same kind of effect where I feel like it's, uh, I'm, I want to create a counter reaction to that. Chelsea is a great, great example. I, I had a very strong, uh, strange relationship where I think that 95% of the work is absolutely horrible. Um, and, and I feel like that itself is a, is a trigger uh, to, to kind of 
it makes me think why I don't like the work. And through that process, I feel like I kind of arrive at uh, what what I actually do like. And then 5% of the time you see work that's just incredible. Mm. So sometimes going to a place that you don't like can be a great source of inspiration. Very cool. I've never heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> Question number four. If you could tell your younger self one thing or one piece of advice, what would you say? Mm, That's a good question. Maybe sometimes I'm very, my wife likes to call it stubbornness. I like to call it to be determined. Um, Sometimes I, I can look back at things and say, you know what, maybe I should have given up on whatever it was a little bit earlier. Um, but at the same time, I think that if you're, if you're working the creative field and especially you, uh, have your own studio or something similar, I think that you need to have that kind of determination because otherwise there's, there's often not a lot of financial gain. Um, there might not be a lot of like reputational gain. You just have to do it because you really deeply care for it um so it doesn't answer the question but um yeah sometimes maybe i would have reconsidered other options before but yeah maybe not (laughs) (laughs) and then finally is there anything that's coming up that's keeping you feeling motivated and inspired yeah uh, we're actually have a really big project with Columbia University um, and we will find out in the next couple of weeks maybe whether or not uh, what will happen with it but uh, basically with Minutia um, I'm looking to and this sounds very very ambitious and it is uh, but I'm looking to create a unfiltered unedited um, visual archive of humanity um, that will last for 500 years. We and we've been talking to Columbia University uh, about this, and um, they are very interested in participating. And uh, we're looking at financial models how we can kind of uh, yeah solve this financially. It will basically just be a continuation of uh, minutia. But so I should say that once um, as participants complete their their 1,440 day cycle. Uh, they can download the photos, they can order a book um, of, uh, of all the photos that they've taken. Um, and they also uh, can choose to opt in whether or not they want their photos to be uh, part of the Columbia archive. Um, wow. So uh, we have had a tremendous amount of people who have opted in and allowing us to use those photos. So uh, we're looking to archive those for future generations. Um, uh, as an archive and understanding of what happened from 2017 um, and forward. Um, so I think it's it's going to be a tremendously interesting experience um, and yeah, to create a real long-term um, document over humanity. And part of this process is that we want to expand it to um, more socioeconomic groups um, and to more countries um, and trying to kind of really have people literally all across the world participating and documenting their their real life over the course of uh, time. That is incredible. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very ambitious. 
I wonder if you'll be able to download this podcast episode in 500 years. (laughs) I hope so. I I expect people can hear the origins for this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 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 (laughs) Wow. Okay. That is amazing. Well, um, I can't wait to hear more about that once it's further along. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, well, Martin, thank you so much for joining me. It was so nice to get to know you and learn about all the things you have going on. It's really impressive and fascinating. So thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Creative Juicy. If you like what you heard, it would mean so much if you can take a minute to rate and review the show. Be sure to hit subscribe to stay updated on new episodes and follow me at Mish, M-I-C-H, underscore Wainwright on Instagram for more podcast updates. You can also find show notes and a transcript for today's episode at creativejuicypodcast.com. Hope you have a good one. Bye.